Hello and welcome to season two, episode 19 of Dualist Community. Per usual, I will be the universe experiencing itself in infinite iterations, but currently playing the part of Andrew. And I will do the same. And together we are a single stream of possibilities that all exist within the limitless potential of you, the listener. And so we appreciate you being here projecting our existence into your world. And if you don't know what I just said, then by all means, visit season one. It will all make sense eventually. But we just wanted to start this episode with a few announcements. First off, Everything's been growing so quickly with Dualistic Unity lately. It's almost hard to keep up in terms of the Discord and Patreon, and of course, people joining us on the live streams and on social media. The audience that has come together for this podcast is speaking volumes in terms of how how important it is to them. Not the podcast itself, but the conversation. The fact that this conversation is something that we're having and, and normalizing and making it very clear that there's nothing wrong with having this conversation, which is unfortunately how a lot of us have learned to feel over time as we've tried to express these insights, as we've tried to question our reality and we've been met with the fragile and insecure reactions of people around us telling us to just shut up and keep it to ourselves. I know I've dealt with a few people uh, in terms of coaching and, and friends in my life who at various points in their life tried to express to a parent figure or an authority figure that this doesn't feel real. There's something about this that, that doesn't seem like the physical experience that everybody says it is. And they were immediately faced with, nope, you need to see a therapist. You should talk to somebody about that. That's not a normal thought. And so over time, they learned to judge themselves and their thoughts as self-defining even more so. And I, I just wanted to say, if there's no other purpose to this podcast, except to have this conversation and remind you that this is a perfectly normal conversation. It's perfectly normal to question things and to want to understand and to want to find clarity and balance. Then I'm very happy to have it. And I just wanted to say thank you, listener, for being here. Yeah, it's uh, arguably my favorite conversation that I've ever had in my entire life. And if that hasn't been clear by how many episodes we have of this podcast to date, but it is. And I like that we're getting deep into this so quickly because... My, actually, my sister sent me a video today, a TikTok. It was uh, Dolores Cannon talking about, which it was like, you know, she has those pieces of truth. Like, I think she clearly understood things. I think there was a part of her that kind of exacerbated certain aspects of it that may have muddied up some of the clarity that she felt um, to, I don't know, who knows why, but it was talking about how this is all, how she's been involved with people who have near-death experiences and oftentimes what they come back saying is like, oh, basically along the lines of like, oh my gosh, I thought this was so serious and everything was so serious. And, and the reality is that it, it wasn't, and it was all sort of within my ability to quote unquote control or, or the recognition that you are the actor and the director and the script writer and all of that, which I think that becomes a sort of narrative where it's like you have your your life soul contract and all of all of that those types of things that come along with it but there are absolutely ounces of truths in those recognitions and my response to her was like oh yeah like I I love the video like Dolores has a lot of great insights I think some of her stuff gets into a bit of a narrative that she tried to promote and sort of began to believe in that wasn't the reality of existence here and now. 
but the recognition that it does all come back to you is absolutely the reality. And, and even though maybe it wasn't through the use of a soul contract, it's still the recognition that it does your perception is your reality and it does all come back to you. And, and you do have influence of your response to the reality of your experience in every given moment. There's nothing forcing you to respond in a specific way, which I think is, is the piece of truth coming from a video like that. So I think, you know, it's, it's really fascinating to think that this is all your dream and it could just as easily all be your dream as the reality that maybe it isn't all your dream, but people will so quickly shut down the, the questioning of the way reality is or the way that things are or who you think you are. And, and as people shut that down and you stop questioning, you're sort of forced to mold into concrete this idea of yourself, which leads to suffering and just a lot of difficulties in your life that aren't necessary and, and just existing in the prison of a fictitious belief and a fictitious belief in what you think you are to be the truth. So that's sort of why we have this conversation every week is to promote the recognition that it's okay and perfectly normal to talk about this and question it. Absolutely. Just don't get stuck on the answer. And I think that's always just the danger of, of any of those conversations. This conversation, Dolores Cannon, anybody, is that it becomes a concept that we attach to. And then that concept becomes something that we promote and we hold on to as a source of certainty. And, and then it creates all kinds of conflict with reality because then we're not fluid and we're not moving. So there are gems within almost every spiritual and religious practice. If you're willing to go in there with without wanting to attach to it, just looking at it for what it is. And if you can recognize that you are reality and that every religion, every spiritual practice was just another version of you trying to express your divinity or express your wholeness, then you can get a lot more out of it than you would trying to follow, say, somebody that you look up to as being more enlightened or somebody that you look up to as being more aligned with reality, a guru, as it were. And so uh, with that in mind, actually, I want to bring this up as well. We have a workshop coming up in July called Beyond Belief. And this is all about getting over the spiritual and religious concepts that we learn to attach to, like I just said, how to look at these religious and spiritual figures and relate to them rather than looking up to them, to be able to see them as you rather than worship them as something that you cannot possibly become. And so it's going to be a two-day workshop on July 9th and 10th at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time to 4 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be doing it over Zoom. Tickets are going to be available this week, so keep an eye on the website in the store section. Of course, Patreon subscribers are also going to get first dibs at the tickets as well as discounts for each of their tiers. Uh, tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 subscribers get different discounts. So those tickets will be cheaper for them, and they will have access to them for the first two days before we release it on the website. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. That's going to be a lot of fun because that's kind of the root of everything we talk about is those recognitions. And it leads to a lot of discomfort for people when, you know, say, for example, I know people who follow me, like a lot of my videos, maybe they'll be more, not that there's like a good or a bad end to be, but like they'll be a little bit on the shallower end of things. And 
they're like, oh, this is great. Like, this makes me feel so great. And then I'll toss one in there that's like questioning the reality of, of the belief in a God that is separate at all from you. And as you believe in those types of fictions and those types of narratives, you need your imagination to believe in a God outside of you. If you couldn't think, if you couldn't use your imagination, you know, where would Sky Daddy be? Here now. That's the only place that ever is, is here now, everywhere. There's nothing outside of here and now that is in this reality. So people argue, you know, things are, God is outside of space and time. And that's kind of just like their go-to settlement thing. But you know, what we talk about is that you are outside of space and time. Space and time are just illusions that we identify with. And as you take those to be the truth, then you'll take other things to be the truth. As you take, you know, the idea of God being the truth, or at least, you know, really, really wishing there was a God that was looking down on you and watching out for you, then you'll take all of the other ideas and perceptions and judgments that you have about the world and about yourself to be the truth. So belief in the fiction of a God that isn't you reinforces any of the illusory ideas of self that you have about yourself. As you take those beliefs in Sky Daddy to be the truth, you will take your idea that you are good at this thing or bad at this thing or have this strength or this weakness to also be the truth. So your belief in this fiction is more closely tied to your feelings of anxiety and depression and all of that, then people probably realize. And so when we're able to, a lot of times Ray or I will post a video questioning that and it'll trigger a lot of people. And we're not able to spend the time to flesh out the idea of like, no, this is actually not just to piss a bunch of people off and then get a bunch of people hyped up around us. It is a little bit to rock some boats, but at the same time, it's like, there's a deeper recognition there and it's it's to in a way help you recognize that your beliefs in things outside of your reality here and now are never the truth just like your belief in what you think you are is never the truth and they're so closely intertwined that i think it's important to question those things and as you as they are suppressed that questioning is suppressed by large organizations and societies like the Catholic church, for example, the questioning of yourself becomes more difficult. So it's difficult to flesh all of that out. And like the reasoning behind it in a TikTok or even in, you know, a 10 minute video. So that's why we're doing the workshop. It's going to be over two full days, two hours each day, where we're actually going to be able to explain the reasoning, not only like why it's important, but the recognition that it can be difficult also, especially coming from say a family that is, that is deeply entrenched in these belief systems, because coming out of that, it can be, you know, there, there's going to be some turbulence getting out of that. So it's also to help with that process because it's something we've both been through and me more recently with, you know, friends and family. So, uh, yeah, super excited for that. Yeah, it's going to be great. And if you're an atheist, if you have been hurt by the church, if you have issues with religion or belief, come to the event anyway, because we're going to find a way to make that bridge uh, seem a lot easier to cross, because there is an ounce of truth behind all of this. And 
as Andrew said, it's funny, and I actually wrote this down, that the more you believe in God, the more it convinces you of your isolation and your mortality. It's really kind of interesting, but it's not just necessarily about believing in God so much as believing in the world as it's sold to us. Um, we, we talked about this previously in season one, but object permanence, when we're very young, somebody leaves the room, we assume they stop existing. That is actually closer to the reality of what is happening than the opposite, which is that, no, oh, no, they're on the planet in another area existing on their own. While that's equally true, there is a reason we go through that object permanence conflict all of a sudden. It's because we are reality. We just lack the capacity to recognize how big that is, how much that includes. And I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm super curious to get your take on this, Andrew, because it just popped up while I was having a conversation with somebody about how we, we, are our, we are the universe creating ourselves. And their argument was, well, no, my mom created me. And I said, well, you were there. And I said, yes. And I said, okay. So when did your awareness start and stop being your mom's? Because if you think about it, our awareness is our body's awareness. It's all one awareness, right? Regardless of our cognitive thoughts and how we identify, we are one awareness in our body. Our body is an extension of our awareness. There's no mind-body split, regardless of how we might look at it right? So if a woman is her awareness and she gets pregnant, her body's awareness is creating this more complex part of itself until that complexity gets to a point where it can start taking on its own thought, where it can start taking the driver's seat for itself. And it just got me thinking about this. Where did you begin and your mother end? It's all conceptual, right? That division is completely conceptual. Like there is no division. We were talking about it in the last episode. There's no division between moments or days or weeks or months. There's no division. And you can recognize that going back to, you know, a, a more intricate moment where you can see, I don't know, I guess, a more clear unity in a way with something like an event, like the big bang with this universe, then there's no division in space. And so there's no division between the moment of your parents, doing their thing to you being conceived to you, you know, seemingly separating from your mother. Like there's, there's no gaps in any of those events. So where do you begin? Let's, let's question that for a second. Do you begin when your fetus, you know, begins to be forming, but there was no division between your fetus being formed and it not being there. And then there's no division between, you know, your parents doing their thing and things happening through that. There's no division between the moments leading up to that event happening. There's no division between from that moment to the moment they met, to the moment they were conceived, to the moment that their parents met, to the moment that any of the great, 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 great grandparents met and had their children. Like there's no division between any of those moments, but we conceptually divide them and think like, oh yeah, this is separate. This is separate, but we don't actually recognize that there's never been any division between any of those moments. So through that, we can see that the idea of ourselves is just a concept. It's just an idea. There is no division between you and anything in all of existence between you and reality. And there are no bounds to that. There's no bounds to you, but we so quickly conceptually 
divide all of those things, but there's never any division between any moments. Like there's no, what would be the division? There's a gap, but then the gap isn't divided from the thing. So sure. You can say like, oh yeah, there's a gap here. And like, okay, if you want to like cling to that argument, go for it. But like, there's no division between the gap and the thing before and the thing after. So it's, it's seamless. And it's that eternal now that has not been divided from anything ever in all of existence. Yeah. And it's so much fun because as long as you don't start believing in God, you can follow that trail way back. Like you can start thinking, okay, so I am the awareness of my parents in a new variation. And that means I'm the awareness of their parents and their parents. And you go all the way back to, to you know, the, the, the missing link and farther beyond that until you get to the original, you know, single cell, single celled life or single celled organisms which was spawned by reality itself. So it's still awareness to awareness to awareness over infinite different variations over what we consider to be time. But there is no time, of course, because there's just the experience of it, which is so much fun. But when you start looking at it that way, when you start, when you stop necessarily believing in the idea of yourself and you really just break it down to your existence, the nature of your existence as reality itself, you really start to recognize that it doesn't make any sense to believe in God unless you're trying to avoid the, rea the reality of being alone, which is really all we're doing when we believe in God. And I know I, I hit the wall on this one really hard um, once upon a time where on a psychedelic trip, it dawned on me that I was everything and everyone and always would be. And, and then my relationship to, to God came full circle, of course, because I was raised Christian. And so I'd always believed in God, the concept of God made a lot of sense to me. And I had a lot of problems bridging that. Because as much as I recognize it's all one, it's all unity, I kept wanting to do that thing that we hear all the time, like a source consciousness, my higher self, all of that, right. And that's all very comforting, because it makes you feel like you're a small part of something very large. But the fact is, is that you're not, you're the whole the whole of all of it. And there is no God to meet. There is no higher source to talk to. It's all in, it's all you, right? It's just really uncomfortable to accept that because immediately, especially if you're still dwelling on you, the idea of you, it feels very lonely at first because you're used to thinking in terms of you being a character and there being other characters. But loneliness doesn't actually make sense in that state of mind because you're not alone you're all one right there is loneliness isn't necessarily part of that experience because there's no resistance to what you are that's what loneliness is is the resistance to it the opinion of it right it's part of that dualistic spectrum in terms of how we react to what is right but when you stop reacting to what is you are simply what is and that real that realization goes so deep and continues to unfold over years and years and years. I'm 20 years along and it's just getting good now. And I, it's been good the whole way, but it's getting super trippy now, right? That just implies that there's more and more always to see. And then our awareness goes and it influences everything else because we are everything else, not just by having children, but by, by just existing, being a ripple on the pond, right? So this conversation gets so much more involved than religion ever did. This conversation becomes a source of enthusiasm because we're not trying to live up to something. We're expressing what we are. We're not trying to get anywhere. We're expressing where we've always been. 
right? So it actually comes down to what religion is supposed to be, which is something that binds us together, or rather the recognition that we're already bound together. Yeah, I feel like that idea of there being a higher power is like, in a way, like in a convoluted way, soothing to the ego, because we're able to foist responsibility off to something else or like have something to become or feel like we haven't achieved left yet. And it kind of builds these like levels to things. And it becomes as much as I think it can be helpful in ways to think of, you know, life like a video game and just something that is fun to experience. And, you know, there are like, it's not so serious. I think it can help people with that recognition, but at the same time, like believing in a higher power diminishes your faith. And I, I guess to a degree, the faith in yourself, because you're putting that faith into something else. And as long as it's in something else, it can't be in you. And the most important thing you can ever recognize when it comes to anything on this spectrum of fear and depression and anxiety and worry is that your faith in yourself is the most, most important thing you can ever experience and ever work on. And as long as you're believing in something outside of that, it's taking away from your ability to build that faith in yourself. And so I think a lot of it just comes down to the questioning of what you think you are. And people only believe in those things when they stop questioning, because as long as you're questioning, it's very difficult to settle on that reality unless you just want to be soothed, unless you just start getting uncomfortable and you want to start feeling better and you can relax into that. But there's consequences. Like we've said so many times, there's nothing wrong with anything, but there are consequences to everything. And so settling into the belief in a fiction that there is a higher power that isn't you can temporarily, I guess, in the, in the short term, soothe you in certain ways, but in the long term, it's going to reinforce even just the sense of identity, that, that idea that you're separate from something that could actually believe in something else is going to have a ton of ramifications and a ton of consequences that you may not be able to recognize now, but anytime you're suffering, anytime you're afraid of something, it is rooted in the belief that you are separate from anything. Like once you even say for public speaking, when you're talking to a group, if you recognize that they're all you and you're just talking to yourself, there's not that division that leads to fear. And on that sort of like fear versus flow spectrum, like fear is when you're very much identified as something that is separate from anything and everything else in the entire universe that has something to gain and something to lose and something to be or be afraid of losing and something to desire gaining. But when you recognize that you're already everything, you're just it. Like you're just the manifestation and that in itself, that recognition is the most powerful, impactful, freeing realization you can ever recognize. And there isn't all of those emotions and, and feelings that you used to be driven by or afraid of are no longer there because they no longer make any sense when you recognize that you're everything like that identity, that belief in what you think you are is what leads to any semblance of fear 
or worry or anxiety. And, and even after the recognition, there still could be, you know, some carryover from those times in your life where those things come up, but the more you question it, the more, the less they stick around and the, the, the more easily you can get through them and sort of get to a place where they become quieter and quieter and quieter, but you clinging to fictions and, and belief systems is only going to stagnate that process. Yeah. It's funny because it, it, we would almost prefer there to be some governing force outside of us to explain why things are happening because we're so focused on, on what we want and what we don't want that that's the only way we think. Right. So if I pursue something and I don't get it, obviously it's because I wasn't doing the right thing. Right. The source has decided now you don't get that yet. You still got more, more lessons to learn. Right. Where in reality, you just weren't manifesting that thing. That's just not the state of mind that you're in. Right. It has nothing to do with whether or not you've been judged or not, whether or not you're doing it right or wrong, whether or not you're living up to you know, reality or, or God's checklist. Right. It's just not what you are. But we prefer to focus on, on what we want to get. We prefer to focus on, on those things that promise us happiness because we're in that state of mind where we are experiencing lack, right? And so there is definitely this transition period where all of a sudden you realize that getting what you want isn't important at all. And that's tough. That's a tough one to swallow. Like I, I had difficulties with that for years. I, I still do from time to time in terms of, of getting land and building a retreat and doing all that other fun stuff, right? But it really just comes down to whatever I am sets the next step, right? What I want is irrelevant to that process, right? If I want that thing and I want to pursue that thing, great. But then I'm ignoring what, I, what I'm becoming while I pursue that thing. And so there's a danger there that I'm going to get something that I don't necessarily want while I'm pursuing what I want. And what I really want is happiness and peace and alignment. I want a lack of conflict. And I can't find that through any end result. It has to be here now, and it has nothing to do with getting what I want so much as making the most of where and what I am, which is a very different process. I wanted to go back here quickly, actually, because we were talking about awareness and we started talking about, um, you know, parental sex and, and children being born and fetuses and all that. And I just wanted to bring it up with that language because I know we were skirting around it for a while, but um, abortion. This really brings us back to the topic of abortion, especially with everything that's happening in the States in regards to the Supreme Court. Um, abortion is one of those topics that's never fun to get into with anybody, but it's important because we tend to make rules and laws around things that affect other people's lives. And I know from my perspective, because we're all one awareness, we don't die, right? And so, it really just comes down to weighing the considerations of that child's life more than anything else. And I will say straight up as a dude, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. I'm weighing in on this because it has something to do with the conversation. But if you're a woman and you're pregnant, it's on you to make this choice regardless of what anybody else says. But there are considerations. There are considerations as to whether to have the kid or to not have the kid. If you're going to have an abortion, it's probably because the child's going to be born into hardship. You can't guarantee their life isn't, isn't going to be hell right from the start, right? Or they were born uh, out of rape or incest or, or, or something. Unfortunately, there are a lot of considerations. And I will say right now, despite 
Christians and religious people trying to, to live by certain rules of right and wrong, as we said, this belief in a higher power saying, nope, this is right all the time, this is wrong all the time. The fact is, is that there are considerations after a certain point in that child's development, they are starting to become more aware of themselves. That's a consideration if you're going to contemplate killing them, because that's what it is. But we have to get around this idea of, of death as well. Like we have to stop looking at it in terms of at this point, they're an awareness and we have to respect them. They're always an awareness. They're the same awareness they have been the entire time. Like we're, we're one eternal awareness. The real question is, are they going to be born into hardship if you don't end that misery before they come into the world? Because that has to be a consideration to bring somebody into the world just so they can go from one adoption agency to another, from one foster home to another, to go from abuse to abuse to abuse. That's not doing anybody any good. And the idea that God is up there saying, no, just don't kill them. After that, I don't give a shit. It, it seems superficial in the extreme. Yeah, I think with that, it's just so important. And like, there's so many different considerations, as you mentioned, and consequences. And it's just fascinating to see people talk about it. And just, it's the same type of people who say, you know, killing is objectively wrong like oh nothing's good or bad well killing's objectively bad and it's like well there's you know there's some gray areas there's there's nuance like there is with everything and if you just lay down this like hard and fast like this is good and this is bad it's like you probably also think you're a good person so i'm going to question you on that and uh, because there is no such thing as good people as we've mentioned before there are only what you do here and now and there is no good or bad what matters is what you do um so when it comes to something like abortion it's it's fascinating to see people just get so up in arms also the side of it that's just like i understand the the killing aspect and everyone's always so concerned with with death and killing but it's like at some point kind of like mind your business like this doesn't have to do with you in the way and it's just fascinating to see people trying to like overtake other people's ability to choose for themselves and you see it i made a video saying like let's see if i can trigger everyone in one video and it was basically saying like if you say you're pro-choice but you're not pro-abort or yeah pro-abortion and pro-choice to choose whether or not you want to get a vaccine and pro-choice of what drugs people are allowed to take you're not actually fucking pro-choice and you're a fucking hypocrite because the choice comes down to the same personal decision making process and if you're not pro-choice for one of those things you're not pro-choice and because a lot of people and at least the way it shakes out in the u.s is just generalizing here most people on the left side of the aisle are pro-choice for abortion and pro-choice for drugs. And they're not pro-choice when it comes to being forced by government to take a vaccine that has been around for like a few months. And then on the right side of the aisle, they're pro-choice when it comes to your ability to choose whether or not you're allowed to take the vaccine. And they're not pro-choice when it comes to drugs and abortion. So that was why I led it with, let's see if I can trigger everyone because I called him out and I was like, Hey, you're a hypocrite. If you call yourself pro-choice, if you want to say you're not pro-choice and you're on one side or the other, like, sure. Like you have the right to do that too. But 
for the, for the most part, I mean, yeah, it comes back to your ability to have the personal decision. So with something like abortion, I just find it fascinating how often people just want to have a say in what people do with their lives. And I think it's all, or at least for the most part, rooted in religion and religious beliefs. And I've had some conversations with people close to me. I feel like I always say that, but everyone knows like who I'm talking to in the realm of friends and family and just, you know, people in my circle about uh friends because my family has a lot of they're really not that religious, but a lot of uh, friends who are very religious and are super hardcore, like follow the Bible to the T, which blows my mind. And I'm like, that's wild. But they are very anti-gay. And it's like to see that and then to talk to, you know, my parents about it or something, because they're not anti-gay. Like they're very open-minded people when it comes to pretty much everything and they're like, do you live how you want to live? And it's interesting. Cause it's like, you realize those beliefs just come from religion. So it's fascinating to see them. The, the friends like have such a staunch view on something just because it's how they're brought up. And like, they're so, it's just strange. And one of, one of our friends like has a family member who is gay and they like don't approve of their life. And it's like, what the fuck? That's so crazy to me. So anyway, it's just uh, more people overall just need to like mind their own business in a lot of ways. And if, if you're actually pro free markets, then stop forcing people to not be able to do things with their body. You know, if, if you're actually, are what you think you are and are pro choice in that way. But it's, it's very interesting to see all of that. Yeah, it really is. It's funny with Christians, especially because they tend to cherry pick certain parts of the Bible. Like, Oh, it says you shouldn't lay with a man here. Like, yeah, there are other chapters that say it's a hell worthy trespass to eat shellfish and, and that you should sell your daughter under certain conditions. Like there, there are a bunch of things in there that you're not looking at. Uh, you're just selecting things that make you feel more righteous more superior, more aligned with God. And then you're judging the world based on that lens because it's convenient for you to do so. Um, I do have a question because we've never gotten into this conversation. And since we are touching on a bunch of touchy subjects in this episode, I figured, why not? Um, let's look at the other end. So you're in favor of pro-choice and as am I. How about gun registration? Yeah. Um, so this is something I haven't really spent too much time on, but I do understand, like from my understanding, the right to bear arms, like that's a second amendment, right? Well, it is the right to bear arms, but it's the right to bear arms under a well-regulated militia. People tend to leave that, that last part out. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly, I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about it, but I'll just, I'll say my piece that I think is, is rational. I mean, I think because I know the right to bear arms was initially put in the U S constitution as a way to defend against a tyrannical government. It wasn't to defend or, you know, kill other people or even other countries necessarily. It was a defense against a government because the government has the military. And if they want, they have power to 
kind of enforce things that are kind of fucked up sometimes. So yeah, when it comes to guns, I mean, I've always said at least like I'm pro ability to have a gun. And I've always said like, my take was always like, it's good to be registered. Like, and the people should be able to have guns. Like it would be insane if they just ban that. And like, no one was technically allowed to, but I always thought like, yeah, I mean, there should be some background checks and whatnot, but so that's, that's my take, I guess. Uh, but I want to definitely want to do some back and forth with this. Cause I'm curious what yours is. It's a hell of a subject, right? Because we're talking about pro and pro choice. People have the right to own a gun, right? Cause they have the ability to own a gun and therefore they have the right to do so. And then the government or a larger body of people or us collectively will go, well, yeah, but do you really need to own a bazooka? Do you really need to own an anti-aircraft gun? You know, and it's, well, you know, it's, it's my right. It's like, that's true, but the rest of us are in danger. And so there's, there becomes this conversation very much like the vaccine conversation in terms of does the collective have the right to tell the individual or does the individual have complete and utter free will, including consequences? In other words, if you wanted to go and buy a bazooka and then doing so got you shot, that would be the natural order, right? But the fact that some body of people is saying you don't have the right to have that thing kind of goes against what we're talking about in terms of, of being pro-choice. And so I'm just wondering, is there a line where we're allowed to tell people yes and no? Or is it more about the fact that the environment itself would need to be modified in order to reduce certain types of violence or reduce certain types of activities. And what I mean specifically here would be uh, the rise of the military industrial complex, the rise of you know, gun manufacturers, of, of, of weapons manufacturers, and the fact that there is such a large for-profit industry in terms of gun violence that it continuously uh, encourages companies to come up with bigger, better guns for lower and lower prices, which means that they want to sell those. And so more and more people end up getting the marketing and everything else that says, here, you wanna own this gun or here, you gotta have this gun. And then they lobby the government to get people to have more guns and they do this whole thing. And so there's this proliferation uh, of the belief that everybody should have a gun because there's just so many goddamn guns around, right? Whereas if there wasn't so much of a profit centric uh, mentality behind gun violence and war and, and the, the military industrial complex, there would be less guns in, in circulation. There would be less need to create guns, which would make people less likely to want to go out and buy a bazooka that doesn't exist because the profit isn't there to, to develop it. That's my thought. What do you think? Yeah, that's all. That's a lot of good points. And I'm just curious, like where, I mean, it all comes back to us, like our reality right now. And like, that is where change is happening. Change is not something that is outside of our reality here and now. It is our reality here and now. So if we want things to change, we got to change. And so, but it's, it's sometimes I think of it like chicken or the egg type thing, you know, with that incentive for there to be guns reinforcing the desire to have them. So it's like, it's got to start with the desire to have them i think like it's got to come back to the individual's desire and like why we feel a need to have them 
which then comes into play is like what sort of governing entity is causing people to want to have one and what sort like why is the governing entity acting in a way that's causing people to want to bear arms or question and i think a lot of that comes back to you know the idea of of just the amount of power that they continue to try to grasp onto which is rooted in our societal mentality of control and identity and so it all comes full circle to this conversation that we're having right now because that governing entity is as much as we think it's out of our control it is us and it is built based on the collective mentality and the collective mentality is my mentality my mentality as everything and so it just it it's like it's just starts now and it, it also you have to recognize that you know the the present dictates the past not the other way around we we say that more and more and it was a uh, Alan, another Alan, I fucking love Alan Watts, but it was a speech I was listening to and he used the analogy of a boat and the past being the wake of the boat and people get confused thinking that, you know, the past dictates the present. And that is where a lot of our confusion is rooted in, in a lot of different ways. Like it's rooted in the, the confusion that, oh, like that's the way it's always been. This person hurt me. So now I'm just going to be a product of that pain and I'm going to instill hurt on other people because we think the past dictates the present, but the present dictates the past and, and the change happens now. It doesn't happen outside of our reality right now. So it has to, it can only ever happen now because that's all there ever is. Every other concept that you cling to, whether it's the past or an idea of a brighter future, as even the idea that oh, we're building a brighter future. Like, yeah, but it's, it's happening now. It's not this thing. Like the, the mentality has to be right now. And if you're utilizing some separate mentality to build a better future, you're going to build a future rooted in that mentality. It's, it comes back to, you know, manifesting when you're manifesting something that you want, all you're doing is reinforcing the idea that you lack something in the first place, which is the reality of your experience in the moment when you're manifesting. So all you're doing is reinforcing a sense of lack every moment that you're manifesting. And it, and so that's so true with, you know, any other thing that we talk about is you, you have to recognize that it comes back to the moment that you're in and it's the only place you can ever change. And it's, you're always changing in the moment, but that's, that's all there is. Yeah, exactly. So it, it really just comes down to if you'd like to help end gun violence, don't need a gun. That doesn't mean don't have a gun. If you have one, that's fine. It's the need for it. It's the fear that drives you to immediately think, I'm afraid. Where's my gun? That that's the mentality that continues to create that. And, and more importantly, or, or as importantly, don't make other people feel afraid because then you're reinforcing their need for a gun, right? And so there's all kinds of things that we can do in, in our everyday life to, to change the world. And, and I know a lot of uh, teenagers, especially, and, and they're getting older now, but people who have uh, experienced gun violence in schools and, and whatnot, they are openly advocating to the government to, to put regulations in, in place to, to be able to restrict these things. But the fact that most of those kids will never, ever touch a gun 
is more impactful than I would say any of the regulations that they might change, which will always be at the mercy of lobbyists, will always be a political playing piece, always. Whereas those kids, they will continue to look at guns for the violent things that they are for the rest of their life. And that will change the, the ripples that they make. So I would say that it, it's, um, you would probably disagree with the statement by the NRA that the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun then? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say so. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a fascinating statement. But um, yeah, I mean, because there is that side of it too that's like you ban all the guns, people are going to still have guns. Like the banning, the making of rules, the banning of certain things. Like, I don't know why people are so confused into thinking that just because you ban something mean it's going to go away. Like, that's not how it's ever worked. Government bans are not a cure. They're a little band-aid that actually sometimes do more harm than good in a lot of ways. Yeah, look at cannabis, right? I mean, the government banned cannabis for years. All it did was end up funding organized crime. Yeah. That's all cannabis did. So, yeah, it really just comes down to, again, to, to us changing and and again understanding the the law of supply and demand right if there was less demand there would be less supply we got out of the mentality that needs guns or got out of the mentality that creates governments that go to war for stupid reasons then we would need less guns and less guns would be created and while you'll never stop people from having a gun because humans created them I mean, we, we came up with gunpowder. Guns have been around forever from like the muskets and onward, right? Like people can make their own damn gun if they really wanted to. We did it, we did originally before it became manufactured, but then you watch, it'll be a, a very big difference between, you know, a fully automatic assault rifle versus a homemade musket, right? Like it's a very different argument entirely. And, and that's a process that has to happen over time, but there is some proof at least to the fact that less guns equals less gun violence i mean look at britain right in britain they're not allowed to have guns and so there's less gun violence on the other hand there's no checks and balances if, if the government were ever were ever to become tyrannical as they did in australia in, in regards to this local vaccine thing where a lot of people felt like their rights were being oppressed and they didn't have any way to defend themselves from what they thought was that oppression but on the other hand had they you would have ended up seeing a lot more violence, which would have spiraled into something else. And so it's not an easy debate to have, but it's, it's like anything. And I would say this about guns specifically, because you can say, well, you know, knives are dangerous. People can kill somebody with knives. It's true. That's true. But a knife is designed specifically to be useful for numerous things. A gun is designed to be useful for one purpose and one purpose alone. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, too many people get caught up in, just wanting to settle on an answer on either side and not recognizing that with all of these conversations and all of these, you know, touchy subjects, like there's so much to them and it's important to have the conversation. And people always say like, don't talk about politics and religion and mixed company. And it's like, then how is anyone ever going to possibly change? And it's, it's not the answers that are important. It's the process of questioning and the process of having the conversation. It's really like the answer is not the priority so much as the ability and the freedom to have the conversation and be open about that. Because so many people get so caught up in just soothing 
this false sense of certainty through settling on an answer and being able to think that they're sure of it. And the reality is that they aren't, and they know that deep down, but they, they sort of mask that and oppress that sense of, of curiosity and questioning because a lot of it's out of fear because, you know, you have a certain thought that isn't, you know, the mainstream narrative and people are going to like come at you like crazy. And it's, it's not about having the right answer. It's about the ability to have a conversation and that's what we're getting away from. And it's, it's frightening to see people just being shut down from have from speaking. And you'll see it when, you know, for example, like a conservative speaker goes to a super liberal college in the U S and they'll like want to force them to not be able to even show up. And it's like, it's not what they're saying or anything that's the issue. You may disagree with it, but it's it's the inability to speak, like the desire to take away their platform completely is where the concern comes in because that is where, you know, that's how really fucked up governments begin is when people who don't agree with what the government is pushing with the government propaganda when they're not allowed to speak up like there is no other narrative there is no one there questioning that narrative that gets to be taken as the truth and and then you get people defending their prisons in the same way that they're de de defend their prison that is created through their identity they defend you know the government's ability to take away whatever freedoms they deem that they want to because they, you know, have a desire to, I don't know, do something and maintain their control. Maintain what they think is the right, the right path, right? What's right for us, or more importantly, what's right for them. Maintain the balance of power, basically. So, and this is really interesting because we keep going back and forth uh, regarding pro-choice in terms of, of vaccination or abortion or gun rights. Um, now we're talking about free speech and free speech has always been one that, that fascinates me because we should all have the right to say what we wanna say, unless it's hate speech. And that's a very, very interesting line for me because where do you define that? Like we, we have an easy one to reference because we can look back at the most atrocious horror story in the last hundred years and go, Okay, so that's hate. And what I mean specifically would be the Holocaust, right? We'll look at historically and go, the Holocaust was the biggest evidence of hate in our you know, Western historical uh, context. So obviously, anti-Semitism is hate speech. And we'll stick on that. Okay, that's fair. That's hate speech. What else is hate speech? Is it hate speech to disagree with the left side uh, in terms of government? Is it hate speech to, to disagree with somebody who, who's on Fox, say, and saying certain things that we don't agree with because we don't see things their way? Is it hate speech just because I feel offended, right? Or is it only hate speech if I'm in danger? In which case, how do we measure that? Right? So it's a very interesting thing that even just the right to say what you want is questionable. Yeah, that line is another very interesting conversation because that goes back to there is no correct answer. And if there is no correct, definable answer, can we have that as a rule? Like, can we restrict 
certain things. I mean, obviously we can, but to what cost? And then where is that line? Because the line keeps getting moved. It keeps getting pushed. And even, I mean, we're touching on all sorts of stuff, so I might as well just keep it rolling when the (laughs) Israeli-Palestinian conflict has been around for a very long time. So Ray brought up the anti-Semitism that everyone agrees on that. But, and I'm not saying I'm on one side or the other, but there is so much going on that especially people in North America, like do not understand about the deep rooted history of that situation of that entanglement of everything going on there. But it's fascinating how there's still these sorts of narratives being built. And all of a sudden, there's a good bit of anti-Semitism going around. And because it's like kind of on the other side of, of one side's narrative, it's like, it's a little bit more acceptable all of a sudden. It's like, hold on, when did that change? Like, because you disagree with what they're pushing and you you agree with what the other side is pushing. And so now all of a sudden, you know, that, that anti-Semitic remark uh, yeah, but like, do you see what they're doing to them? And it's like, but that's worse than than doing this. And it's like, wait a second, where the fuck did that line go? What happened to all that other stuff you were saying a couple years ago? And so I'm not saying that like one side is right or wrong, but like there's so much, especially with a situation like that, so much nuance. And I certainly am no expert on the situation. I just know that there is so much more than we especially in the States or on this, in, in the, this side of the world can even understand. And it's not something that goes back, you know, 40 years. It's something that goes back hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. And it's so much more deep than we understand. And yet people immediately jump to so many conclusions about what's right and wrong. And it's just, it's the same thing as settling on an answer because it brings you some sense of comfort and we say it so much, but like all we're pushing is like the continuous questioning of what you think and, and the ability to have the conversation is such a vital aspect of that ability. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up um, Israel and, and Palestine, because that is a perfect example of how there has been such a large commitment from uh, governing bodies in the world stage in terms of we must protect Israel and the Jewish people after the Holocaust, that when uh, Israel did start expanding into Palestine, it did start building settlements illegally. Uh, there was a large, a large degree of silence from the international community because they'd been backing up Israel's right to exist for so very long. And so it was, it was like a, a political 180 that they would have had to do. And so they didn't in, in general, and Palestine continued to be pummeled over and over and over again, year after year, uh, where Israel was blocking, uh, blockading supplies coming in by ship, food and medical supplies coming into the Gaza Strip just to continue to punish the Palestinians for just existing there, right? And so nobody would comment on that because as soon as you did, you were looked at as being anti-Semitic. But it's so important to recognize that criticism of the country of Israel is not criticism of the Jewish religion. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's a perfect example, you know, and and I want to mention this as well, because as always, ambiguity and gray area, 
we have often talked about how there is no right and wrong. And I know one response that you often get from people is, well, the Holocaust, the Holocaust was obviously bad. Yeah, it was destructive in the extreme. It was horrible in every way, shape and form. There's, there's no other way for me to describe that. But had it not happened, the country of Israel wouldn't exist, which a large percentage of Jewish people would say is a good thing. And so over time, the idea of good and bad really does start to become a wash of, of the reality. Things happen, destructive and creative things happen, and then we adapt with them, but it doesn't make them good or bad. It's just what they are. I just wanted to toss that in quickly while we are on the subject. Yeah, and it's. I think a lot of that is exacerbated by the belief in division, the belief that there is there are any singular divided events that are separate from other things, like something like the Holocaust as horrendous and awful. And I am not saying anything that is any less than that, but there isn't a division between the before the Holocaust happened while it was happening and after it happened and everything that kind of came before and came from it. So even the idea of the Holocaust, obviously it's a definable conceptually definable event but you can't even say that there is there is a divide between those things because like take someone like hitler for example when did hitler begin did he begin as we were talking about about i don't know an hour ago when we started like did he begin when his he became separate from his mother when he left the womb did he begin when his parents first had sex did he begin when his parents first met, like there's no division between any of those events. So tying it back to the idea that any division that you perceive is an illusion, like a Holocaust is happening right now because there's no division between right now and a Holocaust and the Holocaust to any other war that's ever happened or any other event that's ever happened that led to any other war or any other, you know, all the way back to the big bang and all the way back to everything before the big bang, all the way back to eternity and no beginning is what you eventually get to is there is no starting point of existence. And so there's just so much depth to these conversations that to even settle on not simple, but basic definable things is i don't even know it's like it's it's just rooted in fictions of of belief and they're all more intertwined than you might ever realize and the belief in a good and a bad and and now using those terms to define things are the same beliefs and ideals that got us into that situation in the first place believing there is a good and bad is the same belief that Hitler used when he started doing all the fucked up shit that he did. So for you to want to label things now and be objective about it is using the same mentality that he or anyone like him ever used to get us into these messes. So maybe when we stop, when we start to recognize that there isn't division between moments, isn't division between each other, that we are all one mind experiencing ourselves in what appears to be different iterations, but it's actually the same thing, we can begin to recognize that there is no separation. And so 
without that separation, there is no good reason to have any or, or begin to try to conquer and begin to try to take away from, you know, different incarnations of views ability to exist through killing them. So it's also intertwined. And as you get caught up in labeling anything because of your beliefs to be one way or the other, you're just reinforcing that same mentality that got us into the shit in the first place. Wow. That was well said. I just wanted to say that quickly. And it's really interesting because if we, if we were to change our perspective, slightly like we were talking about at the beginning of this episode how everything is just one awareness we're all one body right then you could look at the world and, and our history a little bit different differently in terms of us having and beating cancer repeatedly like every time we collectively get invested in this perception of, of division we are basically acting as cancer we're killing ourselves Right. And then that perspective of division calls it causes all kinds of merry hell and conflict. Right. And then we go out and we like we try to fight it off instead of working on healing, which would be recognizing where that cancer came from. Right. It's funny. There's um, there's a libertarian argument in the states that uh, the voting right, the Voting Rights Act in 1965 should have never happened. And the reason their argument is this, that it wasn't an organic change in the culture. It was a forced change in the culture. We made a rule making racist people behave instead of adapting our culture to get rid of racism. And that's very much the, liberta the libertarian argument against the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Now, should, should there not be a Voting Rights Act? No, definitely not, because obviously it's done a lot of good. But I think the point was, is that had we continued to challenge one another, had we continued to go back and forth as a culture, having a dialogue that was ongoing, there would have been more in terms of us growing collectively than just us putting down a rule saying, all the people who disagree with this, you can't disagree publicly because you'll be punished, which means you don't have to evolve and change at all. You just have to be quiet, right? Which is why racism continues to be so rampant throughout the states, right? Despite it not being public, it's still underlying. And it's largely because the society itself didn't change. It just enforced a change rather than that change being organic. Yeah, because I think a lot of that comes down to a sort of naivety, like because the conversations are being suppressed. And if you have certain view on, and this is for anything, if you have a certain view on something, you just can't talk about it. It's like, then those people are just going to get more frustrated and more staunch in their views because they build up this identity that, you know, oh, I'm not allowed to talk about this or be open about this. So then it leads to silence, but silent building of communities and sort of bubbling up of those types of things. Whereas and I'm not saying like people should be like openly racist in any way, but like the conversations need to be had because those beliefs in those types of things are built upon experiences. Like we're not brought into this world being racist. Like that is a taught act. That is, we're not even brought in this world believing that we're separate from anything, let alone racist. So like, it's fascinating to think that that would even be something that 
is someone's fault necessarily, but at the same time, like it is and it isn't, but that you have to be able to see the path that led them to that belief and came from their parents came from their, which came from their parents and, you know, the situations that they were in and, and what they experienced. So it's almost like there has to be some level of clarity in empathy, not in agreement at all, but in recognition that that could have, there was a possible path that could have led someone to believe that thing to be the truth. And then you can sort of meet and have a conversation at that level. But as long as you think like you're such a good person that you could never ever go through a situation. Like, I don't care how racist my parents were and my entire community and everyone I interacted with my entire life and all that shit. I don't care. Like I never would have been and like, you're on this high horse. It's like, you have to recognize whether it's acting like that or being a serial killer or anything that there could have been a path that led you to be that. And then once you recognize that, then we can start to have open dialogues and open conversations about it. But so many people are like, I would never do that. I could never be that type of person. Like, no way. And they think because it's out of fear, it's, it's out of the fear that they might be able to be that type of person. So instead of recognizing that and being like, you know what, I probably could have, they suppress it. And they're just like, no, I could never have, because it makes them uncomfortable to think that there's a chance that they could have ever possibly been that when that's the reality and that's the way that we bridge these conversations together and actually have change as opposed to just silencing those that don't agree with us thinking we're on this high horse that we could have never ever no matter what our circumstances were act the way that they act you could have nicely said i just wanted to return quickly to what you were saying about um, being able to say racist things people necessarily shouldn't be able to. And I'm going to disagree with that. And, and, and the reason I'm going to disagree with that is, is because if there wasn't a system, if there wasn't a racist system in place to protect those racist people from consequences derived from their racist actions, they would learn from them. And I mean that in that if somebody is racist and goes into an area where they're a minority, and they start spouting off in terms of, of racist slurs and, and, and being derogatory in general. Somebody's going to come out and tell them off. Somebody's going to come out and talk to them about it. And, and change is going to happen, right? But the fact is, is that the way things work now, if that racist person was to walk into an African-American community and violence ensued, the racist person would more likely be protected by the police because the police are white, right? And that is unfortunately the case which makes it very difficult for our society to actually have that dialogue when racist people know that they're going to be sheltered by a racist system. And it's because that system was built on racism. It was built on the backs of slaves. It was built on the backs of, of murdered indigenous people by white people, right? And so as long as that system is being sustained, the board is tilted. This is what they talk about in terms of white privilege. That exists, especially in a white system, obviously. If you go to other parts of the world where white people aren't in charge, there's not really much in the way of white privilege there, right? Because they don't care about you, right? But here where we dominate, where, where white people created this system based on racist ideals to empower themselves, 
yeah, it's impossible to have this dialogue and actually start coming together because as soon as you or I or any other person with white skin goes to talk to somebody else who has been at the hand, who has been hurt at the hands of this of this racist government or this racist ideology, they just see our skin color. And what they see is that it matches the people who have been oppressing them. And so it's very hard for us to find that middle ground without us first going, not like, I'm not like that. And they go, sure, you're not. Everybody says that. And it's because largely the board is tilted. Of course they feel that way. I would feel that way. Absolutely. And so I think, as we've said before, this really comes back down to the realization that we can't have such large government, that large government makes such wide and broad rules that it cannot work without somebody feeling oppressed, without somebody being left out, without somebody feeling like they're not being heard, right? Whereas small local governments working together with other local governments, I could see how that would work, where each government addresses the racism, the racism within their community. They make their own rules or they make their own agreements with the people within their communities based on how everybody feels and how everybody wants to act, rather than taking, say, the rules of one area that happens to be super progressive and then imposing them on, on an area that's not progressive and then watching all that resent build under the surface until it becomes something that, that's violent, right? And so I, I think it really just comes back down to us, as, as you said, it comes back down to us being responsible, which I think automatically means smaller local governments. Yeah, absolutely. I think just, yeah, the size of our governing entities especially in North America, but like across the world too, is just, it's so damn big that it's like, there's just, it, it's gotten so far away from the point. And like, there's so many different administrative tasks that are just so inefficient and just, there's no way, especially in a place like America, where there's so many different types of people and so many different communities to think that, oh, we can just like lay on all these laws and like overlay this blanket of laws and like everything will be fine. It's like there has to be like with all these conversations on all these topics we've brought up, like there has to be nuance to everything and what works for like there's a lot of communities in the U.S. because it's such a melting pot that have have cultures that have been around for thousands of years. like. The United States is a baby compared to, let alone the world, but like existence, like it's, it's been around for basically no amount of time whatsoever. So to think that we can just layer on all of these things and you see it sometimes with certain deeply rooted cultures or religious beliefs, there's like, you know, certain exceptions to the rules that they're like, oh yeah, okay, we'll do this, which is great. Like they, they allow for those exceptions here and there, but at the same time, it's like, why are we forcing these rules to begin with? If they don't make sense, we just like place this rule and it's like, yeah, this should work for, you know, these 350 to 400 million people just the same. Cause everyone's, you know, every community is the same, every environment's the same, all this shit. And it's like, that's not how it works. And we've just gotten so far from that. So I'm I mean, as we've said so many times, like as we change, the world changes, but it'll be interesting to see just like where that point 
with a government that's so big and so powerful gets to where it's like, is it going to be like just a slow crumble, a slow death, or is it going to be one big explosion where it just gets to a point that it can't sustain itself and it just implodes and, you know, who knows? I'm sure there'll be some, I say external, but it's really, there is no external forces that are imposed, whether it's a natural disaster, a meteor hits the earth, something that, that shakes things up and and we build a new with potentially a slightly altered mentality that I think is, you know, it's happening all around us every moment right now. For sure. I, I think of it in terms of erosion, right? Like um, you can't really see it, but the, the underbelly of this system is eroding rather quickly in terms of confidence, in terms of the, the way it's been handled uh, in, in inefficiency, let's just say. Um, the fact that they waste so much money on things that don't need to be wasted, need to be spent on, the fact that there's just so much in terms of lobbyists and, and, and politics and everything else, and the fact that more and more people are feeling left out by this system, feeling forgotten by this system feeling like they are uh, second-class citizens compared to the rich or the people on Wall Street, for example. And so all of that is causing people to look at alternatives. All of that is causing people to explore things like cryptocurrency or explore things like alternative communities or, or off-grid living. Um, and that's eventually going to turn into small local governance, which is going to, to continue to expand. And so I think as people are exploring that and as those alternatives are, are being looked into, the erosion continues to happen. And that's why we're seeing less and less in terms of the government really trying. I mean, I mean they're, they're just putting on a show to make it look like they're doing everything they're supposed to do, but there's no aspiration towards anything better within our world governments. There's no aspiration towards a better humanity or a less conflicted humanity. It's always just, you know, well, what's Russia going to be doing next year? And what's the world, world Health Organization going to do over the next 25 years? And what are we going to do about climate change? And, and it's like, right, on large scales, while you're still not talking about the fact that most plastic isn't recyclable, you're still not talking about the fact that most of the companies that produce the plastic are foisting responsibility onto the public saying, you know, it's your, it's your responsibility to fix this problem while they continue to do that because the government's making a profit from it. Right. The governments are governments are making a profit from pretty much all of the things that continue to plague humanity. And so it's very, very difficult for us to, to do anything on that level. The fact that we continue to try is becoming laughably absurd. Let's just put it that way. And so we're left with no choice but to try and find our own direction, to find our own community, to find our own way to change all of this. And that's what dualistic unity is all about. That's what this conversation is. Us working through these questions that we've never been encouraged to ask. So that way we can find a new state of clarity and we can create a new world moment to moment to moment as we go forward with that state of clarity. It's really the only plan is to maintain clarity. And in that clarity, our future can change. But as long as we're still confused, as long as we're still passing off responsibility and looking at ourselves as separate, then we're not going to make any progress. We have to change our mentality. We have to change the way we see things. And in order to do that, we need to start questioning the narratives that we've all been convinced are unquestionable, are just the obvious truth. You're a human being in a meat suit, as it were, on a planet that doesn't know you're here. And all of that has to be questioned in order for us to create a different world, because this world is based on that perspective. This world is based on the fear that goes with that perspective of division, as you said earlier.
Yeah. And it has to start with that questioning of yourself. And from there, you begin questioning your environment. And as you question yourself into, you know, until you get to the recognition that you aren't something that you could ever possibly define, then there are no longer bounds to what you are. And then you naturally begin questioning everything because you are everything. So it's, uh, it's quite the fascinating process, but it, it begins with just anything that you think you are just question it and realize that it's never the truth. Like it isn't what you are, no matter how sure you are of that thing, no matter how sure you are that you're bad at this or, or struggle with this, that's only reinforcing the potential for you to continue struggling with it. So as you question it, you free yourself from that narrative and start to see other options and see that, oh, maybe I don't have to be confined to this idea of myself. And it brings me to something else uh, I wanted to ask about. So like with, you know, the, the reality of this human experience, as much as we are everything, we do have the experience of I as, as a human. So like when it comes to the recognition that there's no division between any moment and our experience is here and now, is that then limited by our human ability to perceive things like that reality is almost limited in a way by, you know, the, on the spectrum of UV light, we have humans only can see a tiny bit of it. And on the scale of, of hearing and sound, we can only hear a tiny bit of it. Like, so it's almost like the now is this eternal, no beginning, no end that we're, we're is almost like moving through us as we perceive it. But it's like, it's limited by the human aspect of our reality. So is it that as we question that, that perception begins to get almost like expanded in a way? Cause it's to me, part of it, as I've been starting to question, even the nature that things are stagnant, that we always believe like, oh, everything is just stagnant and still. And as you question that, like maybe stuff starts to move around a little bit, kind of like when you're shipping, which I experienced and have been experiencing recently. But it's it's almost like, I don't want to say frustrating, but just kind of fascinating how it is so limited to just the human capabilities of that. But if there weren't the human capabilities, then... And, and there were no limitations in that way. Like, would there be anything to see or hear? Like, would there be the perception of other things if there wasn't a limit to our human potential to see and hear and feel and touch and, and speak? Like, would it, or would it just be a blank slate almost or the perception of a blank slate? That's a damn good question. And it really comes back down to the reality of what we are in the void, right? Like in the void, we're everything all the time, everywhere, right? Um, whereas our experience is just this version of now, <laughs> just this version of now, more importantly, this version of me in the now, um, which is you know basically what our, our experience is all about. And so, yeah, we're always gonna have that limitation in terms of not experiencing everything all the time at once in this body, because you wouldn't want that, right? Like that, that's the whole thing. but our experience is limited by the narrative. Like 
the experience that we have as human beings is drastically reduced by the narrative that we are taught is real about being a human being, about what it means to be a human being, about even medical science to some degree starts to limit what we are in, in terms of, of consciousness and, and imagination and, and what we can see. So as, as, as soon as we have a narrative, we have a box that we live within. Without that narrative, all of a sudden, everything is just what it is. Everything is just this endless field of insights that just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because you can look at it without making an assumption. And, and so we're talking about the difference between being super egotistical or tripping, essentially, because in, in tripping, you're just not making any assumptions. That's the only thing that's really changed is that you're in a state of being where you're not going, oh, that's that, and that's that, and that's that. So you're not stopping the journey with a conceptual endpoint anymore. You're in a state of being where everything is just this continuously unfolding thing where you're like, wow, I can just keep looking deeper at this, and deeper at this, and deeper at this, and that leads to this, and that leads to this. And that's what happens when we don't put conceptual endpoints, when we don't make a narrative and go, this is what reality is. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper. And so I would say that that, um, that experience, from my pers perspective, is uh, surreal. It, it gets to the point where it goes way beyond the human experience I thought I was having before. And what I mean is that you were talking about how we can only see certain spectrums of light. Externally, that's true, right? Uh, you were talking about how we can hear, only hear certain spectrums of sound. Externally, biologically, that's also true. Our consciousness, on the other hand, is outside of all of that stuff, right? Our consciousness is what's interpreting all of that stuff and ultimately making what it is, which is why, like, when you hear something in a dream, it has nothing to do with your ears, right? When you smell something in a dream, it has nothing to do with your nose. Right? And so all of that is consciously available to you all the time. And if that's available to you, then that doesn't necessarily mean it's restricted to our biological spectrum, which is an entirely different rabbit hole that we'll explore as we go down this conversation, I'm sure. I did want to stop for a moment because we are approaching the end of this episode, which is awesome. And I just wanted to make a few announcements quickly. The first of which is obviously that we're coming to the end of season two soon. Not going to tell you when, but it's very soon. Uh, Andrew and I are going to be meeting very soon. If you would like to be a part of that, join us on Patreon. It's only $5 a month. You're going to get all kinds of exclusive access to a live show that we're doing, some clips. We're going to go to karaoke. I'm going to show Andrew around the town that I live in. I'm going to introduce him to an Nanaimo bar, which is awesome. They're very, very tasty. And there's just all kinds of good stuff happening. On top of that, with season three, we're going to continue the work that we had started at the beginning of season two on our NFTs and our DAO. Uh, as we have been talking about changing the world, different types of governance and working together to create a better world. The DAO is basically our attempt to get out there and do more stuff in the world with whatever finances we can raise through selling these NFTs and, and through investing in things that help other organizations that also have a unifying purpose. And so we're going to be doing that. That's coming up in season three. More importantly, the details are still being worked on. Um, but Andrew and I have been talking about this for about the last week. We are going to be doing a dualistic unity retreat 
the uh, target seems to be the fall of 2022. It's going to be here on Vancouver Island and it should be about a week long. It's going to involve a lot of extra stuff, just a chance to chat with Andrew and I personally for seven days, just hang out with us and uh, relax, explore some insights, maybe see the beauty of Vancouver Island and a lot more. So if you're interested in that, of course, tickets to that will be on sale first to our Patreon subscribers as with the workshop that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's going to be fucking awesome. I'm so excited for that. Even just the thought of of having a week and and we were talking about a retreat and in my head I I don't know if I recognize how quick that might come around, but it's like, yeah, that's it's happening. And so it's yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people on Patreon will be interested in it. So it's odds are that most people listening probably won't be able to be involved in that unless they're on Patreon. So definitely encourage that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's going to be awesome. Just talk about the recognition that I am everyone there and, and have a, have a great time. And it's a really cool the lodge is awesome. At least the ones we've been looking at or look so cool. And I mean, I'm going to see Vancouver Island in, in the not so distant future. And so I'm very excited for that. But from everything I've seen and heard about it, it's absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. And I encourage you to get on Patreon because that's where it's going to be announced. It's not something I'm, I'm going to talk about or Ray's going to talk about on TikTok or Instagram. It's going to be very limited because the spots are going to be very limited. So I want to make sure that those who are actually very interested in doing it um can can be involved if they would like absolutely it's going to be epic and we're doing everything we can to keep the prices as low as possible we really want everybody to come out here and get the biggest bang for their buck and just to have a great week with us i'm super stoked because it's a chance to sit in a house with so many different versions of me and just shoot the breeze about the fact that we recognize that i was describing this to a friend of mine recently who was saying well, what's the point of your podcast? And I said, it's it's a place for people like me to go and not feel like we're doing something that society says is wrong. It's a place for us to go and question things with other people who are doing the same thing, where we all recognize that we're one and we're just trying to figure out how to make that work in a society that's not built on that insight, right? That's what this whole podcast is about, is, is really just coming to terms with how to live with this awareness, not just coming to it, right? But how to actually use it day to day, how not to get lost in the superficial and the conceptual, how to deal with the fact that the world may not understand where you're coming from, but that doesn't stop you from continuing to grow and continuing to learn how to adapt to that world as it learns how to adapt to you. So there's so much, this retreat's gonna be so awesome. I've been stoked. I just wanted to share quickly, uh, while I was looking around four different locations to have this retreat, I stumbled across one that was a retreat for the Youth for Christ mission here in Canada. So they actually train youth Christian pastors at this retreat. And I thought to myself, well, wouldn't that be fun? So I got in touch with them and they gracefully said, no, thank you. Uh, we don't want you to stay here. That would be so much fun, but also probably very frustrated and a lot of cognitive dissonance happening with those conversations that would not be hostile at all, but just simple recognitions, simple questioning 
that become very difficult to deny when you are brought to, you know, the recognition that you agree with everything. And then at the end of it, you're like, no, no, but you're wrong. You're just wrong. What if, what if you're not right? What if none of that is right? And it's like, well, you just agreed with everything I just said. Like they're simple recognitions. What part are you off of? And it's like, well, it's the part where you made me uncomfortable. And I don't like that. I agreed with any, everything that you said is like where it comes down to, which is, I, I just love all of that. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm still down when I, when I come visit to check out a, a Bible Bible group or something and just, you know, subtly hang out and just ask a couple, couple questions. Cause that would be, that would be a lot of fun. For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll have to see what's happening. Cause, uh, as we get closer to the date, there's different events and whatnot. And so we'll see where we can drop in. It's going to go quick though. That's the thing. Your visit here is going to, it's going to be a lot of fun. And of course we're going to make the time last longer by just being as present as possible while you're here. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take a look and see uh, if we can rock any Christian boats while you're in town. Um, I did want to bring up one other thing quickly because I was having this conversation with somebody recently regarding weight loss. And um, I wanted to bring it up quickly because it's really important. I don't know if anybody who's listening to this is, is struggling with weight loss or, or doing that thing where you count calories. And that, that calorie counting game can work to some degree, but you can also end up beating yourself up if you're not meeting it or, or, or you can get too, too strict with yourself and start judging your, your progress and doing all that. And I just wanted to mention quickly that your ability to burn calories changes. It's really important to remember that, that you're not always, in fact, burning the same amount of calories by doing the same amount of work, that the level of stress within your body, your mentality actually changes your body's ability to burn calories. So if you're stressed and you're working out, you're going to burn less calories. So if you're stressed about losing weight, it makes it harder to lose weight. I just wanted to bring that up quickly, that we tend to get into the structured idea of I just need to do this and it does this, but none of our existence is like that. The mentality that we come from changes everything. Yeah, that's a awesome point. Like it's, it's so interesting. And even for myself, something like that, like we settle on answers to things and it's fascinating when start questioning the crux of them. And I think there's just so many different avenues to fitness and so many things like it's important to keep in mind that like different things work for different people and there is no one size fits all. So if someone's coming and telling you that there is a one size fits all, like question the shit out of them because there isn't, and there is no right way to do anything. There's no right way to eat or right way to work out. There's no perfect food, perfect diet. It's like, even if someone did come up with the perfect diet, if you fucking hate that diet, it's not perfect because you're not going to be able to continue doing it. So it's like the, the most important part has to be something that you is sustainable for you. Like sustainability is so key, but also getting stressed about what is and isn't sustainable is going to make it more difficult to be sustainable. So it's like having that balance and that finding that balance, I guess, through trial and error. Like I've been through, I've done so many different 
types of diets in my life and just tried out different things and different workouts. And it's like through those, it's through those, I'm not going to say failures, but just through that trial and error, I came to things just naturally sort of get easier. But there's certain times where I'm like, oh, this is, this is the right thing to do. This is what I have to do. And then over time, I, and I do that thing and I go all in on that thing. And I talk to people about it even. And then now it's like, I'm at a point where I don't assume anything is the the perfect way to do anything or, or be any way. So I don't get so caught up in like, this is how you have to do it. But I used to, and then I, you know, f- discovered other information and that's okay. Like it's okay to get caught up in something and then change your mind a year later and be super passionate about that thing and then change your mind. And it's important to point this out because people often, they will come at you for changing your mind and for having a different opinion about something that you used to not have because people like to be certain about their idea of other people. It brings about a certain amount of comfort to them to know like, oh, this person's this way, package them up put them off to the side. Don't have to worry about that anymore. And as you begin to change and they're like, Oh wait, that doesn't fit the narrative of the way I thought they were. They start to get uncomfortable. And so they will come at you and be like, you didn't think that way a year ago. Like you're changing your mind. Like you, you were so sure before. And you're just like, and I learned more information and now I'm not as sure. Like, it's just not that deep, bro. And they're like, no. And, and they get mad because they were able to feel more comfortable that they knew that they had this false sense of certainty, not an actual sense of certainty, but a false sense of certainty that you are, you were a certain way, or you were a certain type of person who believed this, who, you know, either agreed with you about this thing or disagreed with you or thought differently or whatever. And there was a feeling of comfort in them knowing what you were. So as you change, People aren't always going to react super well to you, but don't let them convince you that change is a bad thing and changing your mind is a bad thing because it is one of the biggest strengths you can ever have is as you learn more information, having the ability to humble yourself into recognizing that you are incorrect and learning more and growing. Like that's how we change collectively is through learning more and growing more and getting caught up in bullshit and coming out of it on the other end with new information and then getting caught up again and then coming back. But if you think it's not okay to get caught up and then come back, then you'll stay stuck in whatever you got caught up in. And then you'll just continue stagnating for the rest of your life. Like so many people do when they get into their forties, fifties, sixties, they don't change because they feel like they can't because they don't know how other people are going to perceive them. And they have this strange sense of comfort in the false sense of certainty of their idea of themselves that they've built up. So it's okay to change. It's great to change. I encourage you to change and just be humble enough to admit that you were wrong about something. Yeah. Cause if you're never holding on to an idea of who you are, you are change in action all the time. And that includes your assumptions about what you are and what human means. And we're going to get deeper into that as we go into season three. I'm sure we've already covered quite a bit of it in season two. So we're going to uh, wrap up this episode here and and, uh, we'll be meeting for episode 20 
next week. I do want to encourage everybody again, if you're not on Patreon, join us on Discord at the very least. We have over 300 members now, all of which are very excited to be talking to one another. Again, this is a community more than a podcast. So join us on Discord. We do have a new Facebook page. We do have a new Twitter account. There's a bunch of new stuff coming in the works right now. So much excitement. But again, I will tell you more about that as we continue. Andrew, is there anything you'd like to wrap up with? Join us on Patreon. There's a lot of good shit there. And we talk live with everyone a few times a month at the very least. So five bucks a month, well worth it. I think it's it's one of the best bangs for your buck that you'll ever get. And as that grows, those group chats are only going to get bigger. So get in and get into the, uh, the smaller conversations while you can, because they're a lot of fun and we certainly really enjoy them. But yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, the last conversation we had on Patreon was close to 30 people. So that was a lot of fun in that group Zoom for sure. Uh, This Wednesday, again, we're having another group Zoom. So if you can join us there, do that. Um, We do have some more plans coming for the summer. So definitely keep in touch with us and we'll keep you up to date with what's going on. If you haven't yet, you can also subscribe to our mailing list, which is on our website. There is also a free public group Zoom coming on the first Wednesday of June. You can register for that at dualisticunity.com. Registration is completely free, but seating is limited. So I do recommend that you go and register soon. And with that, we're going to wrap up episode 19. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone.